we were once just as relevant and as harmless and as insignificant as jellyfish. We contributed as much to the world as a jellyfish does. Think about the change now, and that's all been as a result of evolution. Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of The One Up Project. I am here to introduce you to part one of a four-part series. I had no idea it was going to turn into this absolute monster. I thought it would be two episodes, but there's just so much to say. This episode may potentially be a little bit confronting or even offensive to some people, and I provide a disclaimer within the episode, which you'll hear soon, but this is a purely curiosity-driven conversation and a conversation that is always open as well open not only for your thoughts but for my opinion to change. I just wanted to let you guys know what you're in for. Hopefully you'll stick around for the remaining episodes that will be released in weeks to come. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. We have a very, very exciting episode for me today because I get to look back and reflect on so many of my thoughts from reading the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. Look, I'm just going to come out and say it that this episode is going to be a mess, most likely. It's going to be a combination of thoughts, perspectives, opinions, who knows what's going to happen. Let's talk a bit about what the book actually is, who it's by, and when it was written, and then we can jump into the kind of structure of this episode because I'm going to follow pretty much the natural order that the book followed and speak about the main points throughout each of those sections. So the author of this book is Yuval Noah Harari. I'm not sure if you roll the R's, if the vowels are pronounced different. I'm really sorry if I got the name wrong, but he is a historian and philosopher from Israel and he originally published this book in 2011, I think in Hebrew, and then the English version came out in 2015, which is when it actually started to gain most of its popularity. Uh, and I love the thought of knowing that for four years, only those that could read Hebrew could have access to this book. And then after that, it became a lot more global. And so many things have been written about it since. And he's, of course, written a couple more books, which I'm really keen to read as well. So I can't even remember how I found out about this book, actually. If you remember telling me about it, thank you, because you have changed my view on so many things and this is definitely like I would always say my top three books were start with why of course and then all the other books I have are good but they're kind of on equal playing fields like they're all really valuable and helpful but they haven't just like changed my perspective or solidified a belief of mine start with why is definitely a book that did that and I'm gonna put this up there as well so I kind of only have two favorite favorite books of all time I think which is start with why and this book so what is the book about I mean, the title says it all. It's really just about a brief history of humankind and not only us as Homo sapiens, a species of human, but all species of human, which apparently there are at least six different ones. And this is going back 100,000 years. But now it's just us. 
there's only us left on the planet and this book kind of talks about why that is and how it came to be that we became the top of the food chain in so many ways when we were once and as the book quotes as insignificant as a jellyfish in terms of our contributions to the world to the globe which is such an interesting thought that we were once insignificant and now we could be classed as the most significant in terms of how much impact we have on the world and a lot of that impact is not positive let me tell you this book opened my eyes to so many horrible 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 things uh the human race has done and will continue to do but they're normalized a lot of these things of course there's horrible things that humans have done to other humans like the slave trade for example, in the mass colonization of so many countries in such barbaric ways, uh, but also humans' impact on the environment, how we've eradicated so many species of other animals on this planet, our arrogance uh, in terms of our comparison to other species on the planet. Of course, we have impacted the world positively in so many ways that we we would call it positively. And I think the interesting perspective that I've gained and that I'll talk about towards the towards the end of this episode as well is that like what actually is a positive contribution what actually is creating growth and progress and health for people is it what we describe it as today especially in this in a western context in a capitalist context because that's sort of the societal cultural structure we live in um, in the western society so are things as we say they are or is it just as they are because we've kind of been heading this way for thousands of years and that's just how it is and it's not going to change. So we talk about all of that. Now before I get into any of the episode I do want to say that it's going to be hectic, it's going to be all over the show like I said. There's going to be a lot of opinions and I do want to give a trigger warning that I will be talking about rape in a portion of this episode and sexual assault Uh, And then, of course, many other controversial topics such as religion, sexuality, racism, uh, anything you can really imagine. We're going to talk about it in this episode. My intentions are not at all to offend, upset. They're definitely not to educate either. Uh, I'm not a historian. I'm not a philosopher. I'm just another human with an opinion. And why I want to do this episode is to share a perspective and to strengthen my own to kind of just lock in a lot of the memories and the knowledge I've gained through this book and to make it a completely curiosity driven conversation and when I say conversation I mean me to myself but I would appreciate you guys reaching out with any thoughts you have literally on anything if you disagree all the more reason I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to have a conversation about it This book has significantly changed my perception of humanity and it's raised my level of thinking to be encompassing of history. You know, so many times when I think about commonly debated topics like sexuality or gender or racism or women's issues, history may have been taken into account like the last 150 years, but beyond that, it wasn't a part of my perspective and I'm glad that my ignorance has been brought to light because that's honestly one of the most satisfying things I can do in my own education is finally highlight a little bit more 
ignorance in my perception of anything because if I can sort of understand that I've had ignorance in a certain area I can then understand how to have a more empathetic understanding compassionate conscious view uh, and take on any sort of issue and that will help me to just be a better person I think and that's the goal for me at least I think a big part of my purpose in life which does life have a purpose we're yet to talk about that is to be the best person that I can be for others and for myself I really didn't realize how valuable history was which take that as you will I'm obviously an idiot Um, (laughs) I guess I mean I knew history was important but I didn't I didn't think I'd enjoy learning about it as much as I have you know it's just made me think wow history isn't just about events like it isn't just about looking at the past and being like this happened that happened it's about how all of that has completely shaped and determined where we are now especially those most controversial topics like where we are in society now is a direct result of what has happened in the past I'm so glad I read this I'm even more glad someone wrote it and I'm very curious to read more things like this especially with the lens of recent events because remember this book was published in 2011 so probably written for I would imagine years prior to that and now we've got events like COVID-19 recent wars that have happened uh you know the 2016 US election I feel was quite monumental in our history and just significant events that have happened since the writing of this book I would be really interested to hear this person's perspective but also with the lens of history put on it that perspective moving forward so the book is broken down into five different parts I think I'm going to explain them now so the first one is the cognitive revolution the next one is the agricultural revolution the next one is the unification of humankind but I will talk about the industrial revolution before that as well and then the scientific revolution and beyond and then it sort of talks about the future and and what's going to happen now that we that we've been through all of these different stages of life this book is I think 700 pages so it's a pretty sizable book it took me quite a long time to read I want to say like a month it's actually a free version online that I found just by googling it I'm not sure if it's still available but I also just rented it on my Kobo but the time ran out and there was like an eight-week wait for it anyway it does take a little while to read so give yourself a chance give it to yourself in bits and I think you'll find it more interesting that way. Going into the first revolution, the cognitive revolution. So if we think about the name, the cognitive revolution, the brain, the thinking, the thought, conscious thought revolution. This revolution speaks to the main reason Homo sapiens have now got into a place where they essentially rule the world in the context of this book. What the book essentially believes is that humans or Homo sapiens, our species of human, rule this world because it's the only animal that's ever existed that can believe in things that exist purely in its own imagination. So think about things like gods, money, human rights, laws. These are things that in essence are so real in our own life. They impact everything, the way we live, the the people we are, but they're not tangible you can't touch and feel a law you can't touch god in terms of actually grabbing it with your hand taking a photo of it and showing your friend you can't touch and feel these things money yes we have a tangible dollar 
and intangible coins. But it's not real in the sense that we've decided a dollar is a dollar and you can buy X thing for X dollars. You could never go up to our nearest cousins, animal cousins, the great ape, and say, here's a dollar, can I please have your banana? Because it means nothing to them. So the reason we could develop in these groups and in these tribes and in these cities and in these functioning societies is because we had the ability to believe in things that we think about, that we have an idea about, that we discover. And it encapsulates so much. Like the first thing I kind of thought of was the concept of manifestation. Now I'm, I don't know if I would say I'm a believer in manifestation. I'm a believer in that kind of spiritual put the energy out that you want to receive kind of thing. But the concept is hilarious in this context because what what energy? Do you know what I mean? Like you're putting out positive vibes and you get positive vibes back and that's very real from a just a human psychological like social cues kind of way. But we believe that that will help us be more successful, help us get somewhere when it's something, it's a concept we've sort of made up in our own minds, right? Who's to say it's real? Who's to say it's not real? But it's still a concept that we've made up. What about driving on the road? You know, staying in your lane. Someone could just curb you and go outside of the lanes if they wanted to. There's no reason they couldn't do that. But because there's this expectation, these laws, these societal boundaries, these, you know, these things that create a functioning society, you just don't do that. You don't want to go to jail. You don't want to get a fine. You don't want to have to pay out insurance excess you know you don't want to do all these things because you want to live in the society that you live in in the functioning society you live in so you stick to these laws that have been made up to keep a society functioning now I don't want to lean too far on the side of (laughs) I feel like you can so easily and this has made me have this kind of concept has made me have so much empathy for or like just more understanding for people who don't want to be controlled by the government and conspiracy theorists because I think, well, they're kind of right in a lot of ways, you know. Technically, we are controlled by these imag- these like laws and these societal structures and blah, 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 and the government's an easy person to blame because they kind of enforce those things and same with the police and stuff. But you also choose. Mm, do you choose or are you – I guess you still – want to a lot of the time exist inside this society because you have to you have to to thrive to buy a home to have a lifestyle to do all the things you want to do you kind of have to exist inside this capitalist society and it benefits a lot of us think of healthcare think of education and so you do the things you've got to do to stay within that society I wouldn't even blame people for getting upset when they think about that because I think if you feel like you've been a victim of this kind of culture and this kind of structure, then it would be completely reasonable to be angry about that. Make up conspiracies possibly based in fundamental truths of how the world works, even though what's truth and what's not beyond biology and science, is there even such a thing as truth or is it just everyone's perception? These are the questions I had while reading it. You know, even though I had a lot of things, questions that I wasn't asking answered, I had way more questions at the end of this book. So 
And I think they're all questions that ultimately may never be answered or will be answered in the context of one person's perspective, but who's to say that's right. So the cognitive revolution really marked our separation in all senses of the world from other animals on the planet. You know, initially we lived much like all other animals on the planet, basic survival needs, finding food, shelter, safety. It was around 70,000 years ago that Homo sapiens began to develop these cognitive skills we've been talking about. They started to think more abstractly and use language to communicate complex ideas, beliefs and stories. This is where religion started and old drawings and stuff you see in movies or whatever from the caveman times, these things were actually happening because this is when humans started to develop those cognitive abilities. That gave us a huge advantage of other groups of animals because we could then work together as a team. We could survive in larger groups, which makes you stronger. The shared imagination allows people to create social bonds and collaborate and organize themselves like a shared belief is so important it kind of comes back to what Simon Sinek talks about and start with why is that having that common belief within a community within a business is so important for progress and for success when you all believe in something together you want to cooperate more for that shared purpose I think that's why religion has worked so well in so many ways to bring people together and we'll talk about the impacts of it pulling people apart as well within this episode but how religion has worked so well and spirituality in general to bring people together because they have a common belief around purpose and what they're meant to be doing in this life and I spoke about how this is where the separation between us and all animals started but I suppose it's a perceived separation because we see ourselves as we don't even see ourselves as animals we're humans that's a cat that's a dog that's a cow that's a lion that's a tiger that's a that's a giraffe we're humans we're completely different. We're a thousand times more intelligent. We can't, you can't even quantify how much more intelligent we are than every other species. And no one will ever come close to what we've been able to do. That is the perspective of humans to every other animal on the planet. I, while reading this book, was humbled as a human, was helped to think that we're actually just another animal. And if anything, we're fucking terrible animals. And we treat everyone else like shit apart from maybe our pets. But even then, the domestication of those guys has been happening over years and years, and that is also quite unethical, but we will talk about it in a second. And, you know, people talk about now about how humans are ruining the planet and and making species extinct, especially with all the industrial activity that goes on and the greenhouse gases. And But this book taught me that this has been happening for ages. Like, we've been eradicating species since bloody beginning a time the diversity of animals that once existed on this planet is fascinating and how once upon a time so many different types of animals that are now quite small were huge and just with evolution over time have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and you know we probably killed off the bigger ones and domesticated the smaller ones because they were more calm and easier to manage and over time the species just grew smaller and smaller and how evolution works is fascinating and humans now have so much control within that evolution you know we can decide pretty much the fate of any species and we also decide the fate of ourselves we have so much control in so many ways and we choose to abuse that in so many ways as well but at the same time can you blame us for for that we have got these incredible unique cognitive abilities so to speak and 
so much has changed in this world and so much is possible that why wouldn't we just take everything to the extreme? How are we supposed to know the impacts thousands and thousands and thousands of years down the line? So with these imagined orders that happen within this cognitive revolution, right, that set us apart from every other species, we began to think differently, believe in imagined things. My perspective of it is that there's no good and bad because everything is both. There is good and there is bad in everything. Even some of the most incredibly revolutionary ideas and technology that has come from so many past issues in history might seem like an amazing idea now but could have the most detrimental effects on society over time. I mean, if we just think about mobile phones as a start, I'm never going to stop using mine. So, you know, I might be saying this, but it doesn't mean I'm going to change my behavior. God knows what kind of, how we'll adapt to that, to the mobile phone's impact on us. And I'm Gen Z, like I'm the first generation technically that grew up with iPads and computers and mobile phones at such an early age and all of that kind of thing so really we haven't even scratched the surface of the impacts this will have and you might think like well how the hell did everyone just start believing in these things that weren't real then if they didn't have their own experience and I think this quote in the book sums it up quite well and I find it quite interesting it says how do you cause people to believe in an imagined order such as Christianity democracy or capitalism First, you never admit that the order is imagined. The book goes on to talk about kind of the benefit of this, even though that might be a hard or an offensive thing even to some people. The author describes it as an imagined order. And he says, you know, we believe in a particular order not because it's objectively true. You know, some of us may not believe in things or we choose to so deeply because believing it enables us to cooperate effectively and forge a better society. He says, imagined orders are not evil conspiracies. They're the only way large numbers of humans can cooperate effectively. And this is where the difference between a conspiracy and reality really occurs to me, because we might know that laws aren't real and these rules aren't really real. Money isn't a real thing. You know, governments and world banks and all that control the supply and demand of money in the world we might know that but we still choose to believe it and to buy into it so to speak because this is the kind of society we want or choose or decide those words I use very loosely to live in so for me personally I don't believe that the government is conspiring against me to ruin my life and control my freedom I just believe that they are enacting a system that the people, the general public, I guess the majority, if you're in a democracy, believes will help progress an economy, a country, a society. And I choose to live within that kind of economy and society. And I also use the term real very loosely as well. But I think you guys know what I mean when I say real versus not. So moving on from the cognitive revolution, we go to the agricultural revolution. This is when we moved from being hunters and foragers to farmers. And, you know, initially our reliance as humans, as homo sapiens, was hunting animals, gathering plants to obtain food. We didn't have crops, you know, we were just going out into wherever we lived and and finding that diversity of food, that diversity of nutrients. That meant we moved from place to place in search of these resources and were limited by the availability of food in that certain area. So we actually, you know, now we sort of 
live in a home and we stay in the same area for most of our lives, most of us will retire in the country we were born in and things like that. But actually, at our roots, we're explorers. We're people who went out and changed our surroundings often in order to find those resources. Now, our resource is the local supermarket. So there's just no need to do that. Their lives are also influenced by seasons and the migration patterns of animals. Now we live in houses so whether or not it's winter or whether or not it's summer we can exist in the same area. It wasn't actually until the agricultural revolution when the idea of settling so staying in one place became a thing. So this is around 10,000 years ago we began to grow crops, domesticate animals and humans, homo sapiens, we discovered that we could intentionally plant and grow things like wheat, barley, whatever by just having one kind of farm and tending to these crops and that would create a reliable food source, right? Which seems like, wow, what a smart idea. Instead of moving around all the time, let's just stay in the same place and grow everything for ourselves. Like obviously that seems like the best thing to do, right? So because the food supply was a lot more predictable, populations could grow larger, right? Because it was like, oh, okay, well we can actually help more people survive now so we can grow a bigger group of people we can have more babies we can build more houses we can just help to resource we have more resource and so we can do more things this was also the start of when people started to specialize in certain skills if you think about now we have a job I'm I'm a marketing I have marketing skills I don't have farming skills so my place is marketing Um, so back then it was similar where people had different tasks like tool making or trading or or leading you know being the leader but It did seem throughout reading this book like the introduction of farming and making life supposedly easier actually caused more hardship in so many ways because there was a need for security which meant the domestication of farm animals and other sorts of animals and bigger setups and structures which we'll talk about. They also didn't have a varied food source anymore, right? So one day we might be eating blueberries and wheat and then the next day we're eating cabbage and uh, god I have no idea what food is actually growing and it could have been anything but one day we're having this type of food the next day we're having another type of food and so our diets changed completely which would change I would imagine like the makeup of someone and the survival rate of someone quite significantly because you're not eating you're not eating the rainbow And that is an important part of living to your full physical potential, you know, having a mix of macronutrients and micronutrients and that just wasn't happening as much. This just went on for so long where you couldn't change it anymore. What was initially thought to be the best idea ever because it was making living so much easier actually was like, hmm, is this actually a little bit harder? And so the book talks about, well, why didn't they just change it? But there are a couple of different reasons, you know, one of them being that it actually took generations for all of these small changes to accumulate and to transform society in the first place. And by that point, nobody even knew what it used to be like. And I think if that's not a me- metaphor for life, I don't know what is, where, you know, things have gone the same way they've gone for so long, that reversing something or changing it would just cause even more admin, detrimental effects. People, in this case, in terms of history, Um, where they were growing crops for a certain amount of people and they're like, oh, actually, maybe this is harder. Some people would have had to have gone without because there weren't enough hunters and gatherers to be able to produce for everyone. I mean, the introduction of farming is why they could grow the population in the first place. 
And if we think about that to now, we think about it in workplaces and families, for example, we just keep things the way they are because it's the way they've always been and changing it would take so much emotionally and probably physically to improve things. You know, a random example I always think about when I think about things that have been the same and never changed, it probably will never change, is the accounting system. Some of those ways of doing things, I swear, are so outdated. Can you imagine having to change the whole accounting system? It would have flow on effects to business in so many ways. It would take years. It would just be the biggest most ridiculous thing ever that's why they're not doing it because imagine the detrimental effects it would have so we just continue on the way we've always done it because that's the most comfortable and easy way for now and it suits the largest amount of people we cater to the majority don't we another great example they use here is is the concept of sending emails you know before you just write a letter and the person wouldn't get it for two weeks and then they wouldn't reply for two weeks and then it's been a month since you got your last letter and then you get it a month and a half later and so much has changed and people would only put the most important details in a letter because so much time had gone by and it would take time and you were able to, you didn't even need boundaries because the time it was already taking was the boundary. Whereas now I can email someone across the world, have a reply within two minutes and so much comes with that like the mental stress of feeling like you need to reply and be available all the time always needing to have something to say when you don't like just thinking about the impacts of that are wild and when I say you know we cater to the majority think about people who refuse to get a phone or refuse to set up an email and I'm sure there'll be many people in our generations like the younger generations who resist certain technologies when we move into our 60s and 70s as well, but it won't matter because the majority are moving with it. So those of us who hold back for whatever reason, we won't be enough to impact any sort of change. So then we're sort of moving into what was the industrial revolution, you know, businesses, factories. I mean, I don't even think we're at the factory point yet. I'm really skipping ahead years, but it kind of leads into what became the industrial revolution from the agricultural revolution, right? Because we started farming, we had really basic farms, you know, did all of this stuff. And then suddenly we're like, oh my God, what about mass production? Yeah. Why the hell would we be producing, you know, this much wheat when we could 10x it with this, that, and the other thing? Again, trying to make things, progress things, create more resource is that a good thing or is that a bad thing every time I read this page that I'm going to be referring to in this next portion of the podcast I feel sick and I'm instantly put off meat in that moment so that speaks to my desensitization of everything but I'm put off meat because the reality of what the industrial revolution what the mass production of food has done to animals is disgusting and I mean disgusting in like every sense of that word like it's gross but it's been like this for so long and so I'm completely desensitized to it I'm not thinking about the mass production of pork when I'm eating ham like it's just not happening and I don't think that's a rare or unique experience I think so many of us are like that but remember what I said in the beginning that we were once just as relevant and it's harmless, and it's insignificant, is jellyfish. Like the, the book literally says we contributed as much to the world as a jellyfish does. Think about the change now, and that's all been as a result of evolution, the cognitive revolution, the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution. And now we act 
like we're above those animals and we disrupt their lives. We disrupt the natural order of how things have always been. How cruel is it? You know, I think it's so cruel. And again, I'm saying all of this when I'll probably order chicken for lunch. So just, yeah. How cruel is it to disrupt the natural order of things? And I know that's a stupid thing to say because we all do it. I do it. We all disrupt the natural order of things. I I kill ants, you know. I'm no perfect human. I'm a killer as much as anyone else. But we intentionally, consciously and thoughtfully disrupt the lives of almost every single animal on this planet, especially farm animals. Over time, within the agricultural revolution, we started to domesticate animals. We kept things like you know, sheep and cows and stuff. We killed off the more aggressive ones and we kept the more placid ones around. And so that's why we have animals that are like that now, farm animals that are just so chill. They're just so whatever because over time we've just killed every version of their species that wasn't like that. Cows and pigs and chickens, man. I can completely understand why someone would go vegan, especially when it's not just the environmental impacts. It's It really is the ethical impacts of so much of this stuff. I watched a TikTok the other day and it was this farmer, bless his heart, lovely guy. Well, he seems like it anyway. I don't actually know him. But he was sharing, you know, his journey of farming and what he was doing. And he was um, inseminating the cows, right? So he was making the cows pregnant so that they can have babies and they, I guess, can use them for either farm animals or meat and beef or whatever and he was showing how he did that and I didn't think anything of it at the time honestly like truthfully I I didn't even really think too much about it and then I read this book and I thought how is there not some ethical dilemma with that artificially impregnating an animal without its consent I know this kid could come across as far-fetched especially in the context of the society we live in and again I eat meat, okay? But just think about the concept of that for a second. The same thing with removing calves from their mums when they're born. That is a natural process. You know, just the thought of that makes me so sad because if my child was taken away from me without my consent, without knowing what was going on, I just can't even imagine the pain of that. Do cows have as complex emotions as us to be able to really understand what's going on when this has happened over years and years and years of evolution and so maybe those emotions have now been depleted? I don't know, but I definitely know for sure that I haven't seen any popular research done on whether that is or isn't the case. And there probably wouldn't be, because why would there be? It's That's not going to contribute to the progress of society or the mass production of resource that has always been the priority within the agricultural revolution anyway, right? Chicks, chicks in hatcheries, little baby chickens, male chicks and imperfect female chicks are are picked off a conveyor belt in this photo in the book. It's honestly, it's sickening. Uh, And then they're asphyxiated in gas chambers or dropped into shredders or thrown in the rubbish. I really hope this has been outdated. I don't know. I haven't done any research, but Look, I just, I doubt it. I mean, I do I look into where my chicken's coming from, not only when I buy it in the supermarket, but at every restaurant I eat at? No, I don't. I found this a really interesting uh, just fact about pigs. Pigs are among the most intelligent and inquisitive of mammals, second perhaps only to the great apes. 
Yet industrialized pig farms routinely confine nursing sows, sows, I assume that's like an adult pig, inside such small crates that they are literally unable to turn around. And they're in there every day and every night for four weeks after giving birth. Their offspring again are then taken away to be fattened up and impregnated with the next litter of piglets. This line is quite interesting of the book. It says, The tragedy of industrial agriculture is that it takes great care of the objective needs of animals while neglecting their subjective needs. And, you know, it makes me think, what's good treatment of animals? You give them a home, you give them food, you give them this, that, and the other. If you're taking them from their mum at a young age to have them as your pet, what needs are you taking care of when you're doing that? Humans have discovered so much and under the cultural restrictions of the societies we live in you know reading this book makes me think if we didn't have the restrictions necessarily of the society of the cultural uh, structures we live in I'm not just talking about I'm not talking about laws and those kind of restrictions I'm talking about the psychological restrictions you feel of of having to live within a group that functions the way it does how much more would be possible I mean obviously so much has already been possible and has happened which is amazing but to think that that's been done within the life we live then can only make you curious about what is possible outside of that as well. All right, guys, I'm going to leave this part here. Thank you so much for listening. There will be a part two. Okay, we have not gotten to the end of the book. In fact, we're just halfway through my perceptions of everything. I told you this is going to be a bit of a mess, a bit of a recollection. Yeah, I don't know. I hope that you've enjoyed it or found it interesting so far. I would just encourage you to read the book because obviously there's so much I'm going to miss talking about it. But either way, I'm just glad that I can sit here and and have a, have a chat with you about it. Next episode, we probably get into the more tea topics. So listen to that. I'll probably put it out the week after this one. Any perspective you have, let's let's share it around. And I'll chat to you guys next week. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.